What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Palm Show. Today's guest is Saurabh Faroudi. Saurabh is the founder and CEO of Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment, a new, innovative company that combines in real life professional sports with Web3 attributes like NFTs, blockchain gaming, community ownership, and more. They recently raised $40 million from some of the best investors in the world, and Saurabh broke down the entire business model for me. We discuss Fan Controlled Football's founding story what role they play in Web3, using NFTs for team and league governance, the future of play-to-earn gaming, tokenomics in sports, and more. This was a fascinating deep dive on a completely new business model, and I think you guys will love it. But before we get into it, let's quickly go over our sponsors. First up is Whoop, the 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself through a hard workout or if you should skip the gym and just rest. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their new smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone and it automatically measures your heart rate, calories burned, and activity throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go before you run anymore. I've tried virtually every single wearable on the market today. The Apple Watch, the Fitbit, the Garmin, the Whoop, and others. And Whoop is by far the best. It's super accurate, it has the most advanced data, and I literally wear it 24-7. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering everyone 15% off on their all-new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com, and enter Joe, J-O-E, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthy with Whoop. Optimize your performance with the all-new Whoop 4.0 today. Next up is Underdog Fantasy. Pick'em on Underdog Fantasy is the easiest way to spice up the NFL playoffs. Just select over or under on your favorite or least favorite player stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. And get this, this week on Underdog, you can get a special line for Debo Samuel receiving yards against the Packers. His line is literally one receiving yard. So pick over on the special line and pair it with at least one correct pick to win. As for me personally, I like Aaron Rodgers to go off against the 49ers. So I'll be taking the over on Samuel and Rodgers and look to triple my money in one night. Even better, new users get their first deposit doubled by Underdog when they use the code POMP at checkout. P-O-M-P. So sign up for Underdog Fantasy now with the code P-O-M-P. POMP. And play Underdog Pick'em today. And last but not least is Public Rec, an apparel company that makes some of the most comfortable and stylish clothes in the world. Are you looking to upgrade your old baggy sweatpants? It's time to check out Public Rec. Their best-selling, all-day, everyday pant is the perfect combination of indoor comfort and outdoor style. Myself, along with athletes and thousands of others, are wearing these daily, and trust me, they live up to the hype. They are a more stylish alternative to sweatpants, but they are way more comfortable than jeans. Now your favorite lounge pants can also be your go-tos for work, happy hour, and the gym. After a year at home, they're definitely the pants you need, now that you need pants. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now, they have an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to publicrec.com and use promo HUDDLE, H-U-D-D-L-E, to receive 10% off. All right, let's get into today's episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, guys, I have Sorob here from the Fan Controlled Football League. Sorob, how are you doing today? I'm great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Of course. And just right off the bat, I want to give you some credit. We talked for the first time probably five or six hours ago. And now we're hopping on a podcast this afternoon. So I appreciate you moving quick and being, being willing to do this. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, it's the life of an entrepreneur. You got to move quick if you want to take advantage of opportunities. So I uh, appreciate you having me on. Of course. I love it. All right. So my goal for this podcast, I told you about this earlier, is like, I want to learn alongside a lot of other people. So I think some people within the sports and the sports business community are probably familiar with what you guys are working on. But maybe before we get to kind of some of the success you guys have had and the money you recently raised, let's start with your background specifically and kind of what led you up to starting this league a few years ago. Yeah, sure. I went to University of Maryland and GW grad school. Always wanted to be in the startup world. I've got two younger brothers and the three of us always dreamed of starting businesses together. And my dad kind of always, actually both my parents kind of coached us to go out and chase your dreams and try to do something together. I think the one thing they instilled in us, I think to this day, that helped with success is to not be afraid to fail. Right? As an entrepreneur, you're always going to fail with something and it's inevitable. <laughs> if you take enough risk, you're going to fall on your ass. And so that idea that you can pick yourself back up and keep going is, is really important. So I went out and you know, started my career at Accenture, very quickly moved into the startup world with a company called iFinance and VC. And then my brothers and I actually started one of the first eBay consignment stores way back in 2004 when nobody knew what even eBay was. We were driving around picking stuff up at people's houses and selling it on eBay. Quickly turned that into a really unique business where we actually were one of the first companies to license eBay sales history and created a real-time price guide focused on used electronics and more specifically moved into the mobile phone space. And in, in 2006, we started a company called FlipSwap, which was a mobile phone trading program that we built using real-time pricing data from eBay, went through kind of the garage startup, bootstrap and eating ramen noodles every day to raise a round of venture capital in 2008. We were number 81 on the, on the Inc. 500 in 2008 as well, which was always, I don't know, I, when I was younger and in business school, I was, I was reading Inc. Magazine every day. My goal was always to have a company on the Inc. 500. So it was super cool to be able to do that with the first one that we did. We had an exit in 2011. I was born in Texas. I'm a diehard Cowboys fan. I think my lifelong dream has been to own the Cowboys. Jerry Jones will never die. No one else will ever own the Cowboys. He found something. <laughs> He's not sharing with anybody. So I wanted to go out and be in sports. And so got lucky enough to get involved in an arena football team as a minority owner. Fell in love with the format of the game. And it was at the time, you know, it was like 2014. Esports, gaming was really taking off. All the big leagues were talking about fan engagement and, you know, trying to change how the, the fans interacted with sports. Nobody was doing anything about it, right? It felt like a lot of lip service from the big leagues. And you could see this younger generation that was looking for lean forward, interactive experiences. I play Madden. I'm a fantasy guy. Like I, I mean, I just, as a sports fan, I wanted to do something more in sports. And so got a group of guys together actually in 2015 with the idea of buying a team in an existing league and letting fans run the team, like literally from the ground up, new franchise, let's go let fans make decisions for a team. We ended up getting approved for a team in the indoor football league and spent a year and a half from 15 to 17 building this new franchise where fans made every decision, all the way from deciding the city. We didn't even know what city we were gonna go to. We got approved for five markets. They ended up picking Salt Lake City. So we said, all right, well, I guess we're going to Salt Lake City. And we went and built a football team in Salt Lake City. Fans named it the Salt Lake Screaming Eagles. They hired the coach. We literally did live streamed interviews of coaching candidates. They decided which coach they wanted. We live streamed tryouts. They picked the players. And then we played a 16-game season, built a mobile app, and fans called every offensive play for that team. And that was really our alpha test, I guess, right? The concept was, could we really let fans take over an existing you know team and would they make good decisions how would it end up and we felt you know really good about the success that we had there and the numbers that came out of it and, and that's kind of why we're doing what we're doing is because we went down that path of 
trying something crazy and it ended up working out pretty well. All right. So we're going to get to the fan controlled football league, but I got a couple of questions about that story first. Sure. So sure. why arena football? Did you try other leagues? Was it a matter of some leagues like the NFL, NBA, et cetera, are really expensive? Was this a non-starter allowing fans to call plays and pick cities and coaches and stuff? Just walk me through kind of your decision to go with arena football. Yeah, look, I think the accessibility of the game, right, in terms of, I mean, it's a couple million bucks for an indoor arena football team where, you know, it was a billion dollars for an NFL team. Weren't really any other leagues at the time you could go from a football standpoint that had any real credibility. At the time, Arena Football League, AFL, doesn't exist anymore. But, you know, Kurt Warner came out of that league and, you know, got the Iowa Barnstormers, some rich history. Those teams have since moved, the big brands, and AFL. I've actually since moved into IFL. So the Indoor Football League, which is where we did the Salt Lake Streaming Eagles, still exists. I think they're up to 12 or 14 teams now, you know, doing pretty well. I would say, look, the product of indoor and arena football is incredibly fan-friendly. You're literally on, I don't know if anybody's been to one of these games, you're literally on top of the action. Like you cannot get closer to football than, than indoor and arena football. It's fast-paced, it's high-scoring. You can see the players and how athletic they are. So it just felt like it really lent itself to us trying something new. And I think the other thing that I really liked about it was because it was indoors, you can control the elements, you can control the lighting, you can control the set. And to me, when I look at sports, I think entertainment, right? I, I love sports. I love the passion. I love the drama. I love the unpredictability. But at the same time, I want to be entertained. I want to laugh. I want to have fun. And arena football adds this element of like, WWE rock concert that you don't necessarily get when you go to a hundred thousand seat stadium in an outdoor, you just can't control the setting as well. So we felt like if we were really going to produce something for the digital fan, for the digital age, it really needed to be in a controlled environment where we could set up cameras and a set design and, you know, all sorts of technology in and around the field that would really alter the fan experience in a way that you just couldn't do in a, in an outdoor format. Okay, so let's talk about what has happened over the last couple of years. You kind of alluded to it a little bit, but it sounds like, and from what I've heard, arena football just wasn't the right avenue from kind of the aspects that you just said, right? You wanted to control the cameras, you wanted to control the setting, you wanted to control kind of how the fans were able to interact with the game. So you guys end up setting up your own league, which is called the Fan Control Football League, and you have a parent company that kind of manages this, this league. Walk me through kind of your first season and, and the success that you guys saw. Yeah, so we actually raised a seed round of venture capital. Lightspeed Ventures led the round back in June of 2020. The goal was to put on a four-team beta test of fan-controlled football. You know, if you think about our test in the Indoor Football League, we were one team in an existing 10-team league. We couldn't change the format. We couldn't change the rules. We couldn't dictate pace of play. Like There were all these things that we felt like really needed to adapt to the digital first experience that we were trying to build. But we were one voice around a table and we couldn't get the other owners to change their mind, which is why we ended up stepping away. And, and when we did, I think what it allowed us to do was take the handcuffs off a little bit, right? Of thinking about sports in this setting where the rule book's handed to you and you're like, oh, this is the game we have to play by. And okay, this is how it's always been done. And so when we got out of that and we were just like, okay, wait a minute, why are we playing in Podunk, Nebraska and Arkansas in these arenas with 3000 people? Like nobody's making money in this league. There's no real upside. There's no value creation here. So we really thought about how could you reinvent the sport for the digital fan first? And if you think about traditional sports right now, every sport we watch was invented 50 to 100 years ago, every single one of them. 
this is before technology existed. This is, I mean, a lot of this is before cars existed. I mean, think about baseball. I mean, there weren't cars when baseball was invented, right? So the world has changed dramatically since traditional sports were invented. And nobody's really thought about, well, what is sports for the modern fan? And so with the ability to kind of reinvent the sport from the ground up, we thought about, well, forget about in-arena experience. The first experience you think about is the digital experience. And so that's really what fan control football is. And I think one of the unique innovations is everything's in one location for us. So we have shared services across the league. We have no travel. If you think about the value of sports, it's in franchises, which is teams, which is live events and content, right? Content is at the end of the day, why sports is valuable. And the more content you can have, the more valuable your league can be. And so we've got everybody in one location. All of our players are there. We create tons of shoulder content around the league. And I think that's what really attracted venture to fan-controlled football was the scalability of the business. We continue to plug in teams into this existing cost structure and let the league grow without having to go do big stadium deals and travel 50 guys across the country every game and you know multiple setups of production capabilities. So our first season was February and March of last year. We had four teams in the league. When we went to this single location version, it removed city-based teams. Again, I'm a Cowboys fan. Why? I was born in Texas. Literally, I don't remember being anything else, right? I grew up as a Cowboys fan, but that's because I was born there. We took that away when we went to this non-city-based league we replaced that with the influencer model. So each of our teams, before they even had a brand, before they had a name or a logo, we installed influencers as team owners. Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, Quavo from Migos, Austin Eckler, Renee Montgomery, right? People from sports and entertainment, Bob Mennery, and social media influencers that could bring fans into the experience uh, out of the gate and really then create the brands around those team owners. So we ended up with the beasts and the wild aces and the zappers and just a, a really eclectic mix of brands and team owners, again, leaning into entertainment. And so we played a six week season in February and March. Uh, we had over a million viewers per game day on Twitch and we legitimately let fans make every decision for these new teams. They named the teams, it was all user-generated content. They chose the logos. All the logos were fan-designed logos that they chose from. They drafted the players to the teams. We brought a pool of 100 guys into the league. Fans literally had a live draft, draft the players that they want on the teams. And then they call all the plays in real time via our mobile app, and it's fully integrated into Twitch. So it's like a real-life version of Madden, right? It is literally as close as you can get to playing a real-life video game. That's the premise for fan-controlled football. And as you mentioned, our holding company, fan-controlled sports. We don't want to just do this in football. We have plans for, for multiple sports in the future. And we think we can really create a unique version of, of each of these traditional sports we all love. Not trying to replace them. We're just trying to create something, you know, one-hour snackable and interactive. Yeah, and I think it's a good point and a fair point of replacing sports leagues because certainly you can look at other sports, but when it comes to football specifically, there's been numerous leagues that have tried to either compete with the NFL or tried to be a feeder system into the NFL from a professional level. And they have virtually all failed, whether they realize some success or not. None of them are really in existence today and none of them have succeeded. And in my opinion, a lot of that comes down to, right, they, they tried to recreate the product. They tried to replicate it in just a very, very similar fashion. Same team, same format, same rules, same all of this kind of stuff. You guys have taken, to your credit and to what you guys just said, which was a very different approach, not only with fan ownership, but the way the game is actually played. So I would love just so people have a foundational kind of knowledge of what you guys are doing. Let's talk through like some of the rules, right? So this is seven on seven football. To my knowledge, there's no kicking, which is obviously a little different, but maybe talk through a few of the other rules that you guys have implemented. 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a one hour running clock. So we've got some stoppage of play rules at the end of the each half. So the games are literally done in an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half. It's seven on seven on a 50 yard field. Unlike indoor and arena football that are padded walls, we actually moved the padded walls away from the sideline. We maintained the traditional sideline, made it more feel like a miniaturized version of, of outdoor football. And then some of the, the rules you mentioned, I think the big one is we got rid of kicking, which really changed for us. I think one of the most boring things in professional sports, which is the extra point, our extra point is a one-on-one -on -one battle between a wide receiver and a defensive back. Quarterback has three seconds to throw the ball. So you've now turned after a touchdown, which is already an exciting play. Then you go to an exciting play for an extra point with one-on-one -on -one battle between two guys. We had games end on extra point battles with one, you know, rather than the kicker's leg, it's the best players on the field that are trying to win or lose the game for their team. So it becomes really exciting. Rather than doing coin flip, our guys come out and do a rock, paper, scissors battle, see who gets the ball first. And then we've got something called power-ups in the league. So there's three power-ups. Again, because we don't have kicking, we wanted to give teams a chance to either punt or, or have an extra down. So we created the fifth down. So there's one fifth down available for each team every week. Their fans actually earn the fifth down for the team. So during the week, Fans have to engage, they have to vote, they have to create, you know, uh, consume content, all, all sorts of things that we have in our app for fans to do. If they hit a certain engagement threshold, they earn their fifth down for their team. And then any time during the game on the weekend, the team can elect to use their fifth down if they didn't make it on fourth down. That was sponsored by Progressive, which is great. So it's the Progressive fifth down. And then we have something similar called Flip the Field. Again, fans can earn one of those for their team. And then on fourth down, if you don't make it in our game, it basically the ball turns over to the other team. If you use your flip the field, it puts the other team all the way back to their 10 yard line. And they've got to march down the, the whole field to score. And then the third one's, uh, we took it out of hockey. It's a power play. You can elect to use it once a game. It takes a defender off the field, becomes seven on six. And that defender goes back on the field after a first down or a touchdown. So. It adds some really unique kind of gaming strategy fans. Well, our goal with our power-ups was to make fans feel even closer to the action and that they had an impact in the game. If you participated as a fan to earn your team a fifth down, and that fifth down was the thing that decided the game, you feel like you actually had a small part in what happened on the field, whereas... Me, I'm a Cowboys fan, and God, it was a horrible weekend this past weekend, but I always go back to, hey, we won two, three Super Bowls in the 90s, and I say we won, but I just sat on the couch and cheered. Like, I didn't do anything, right? Whereas in fan control football, we have fans literally every play calling the play, and what we run on the field is what fans decided, and it doesn't matter if there's 10,000 other fans that called that play with you. If you get that notification that your play was selected, I mean, I've been doing this for five years. Every time, even during practice, when we're messing around with the app, I'm like, oh, oh shit, here comes my play. Like, yes, this is the one I wanted. And you feel like you made it happen on the field. It is this amazing connection and energy that you just don't get from traditional sports. Yeah. So you mentioned five years, and I think that's an interesting point because this has become kind of what almost feels like, maybe not to you at some point, but what feels like consensus in the market now that people care much more about kind of community ownership and, and governance and the ability to vote on these things and, and feel like their voice is heard. But five years ago, that certainly wasn't the case. And specifically within sports, that certainly wasn't the case. So walk me through like just the thesis, right? Because I think the way I look at it, a lot of the data shows us and has showed us over the past years that 
Gen Z, we'll call it, but kind of people around in and around that age range care much less about the Dallas Cowboys, about the New York Giants, about, you know, the Lakers. They care more about the individual players for sure. But then esports has rocketed up kind of this participation on the leaderboard. So walk me through kind of just your guys' thought process, whether it was five years ago or today, I'm assuming it got stronger over time, but just the general idea around this. Yeah, look, our thesis has been the same for five years. I think I feel good. We were really early. The world, like you said, I think is kind of caught up to where we were thinking five years ago. COVID, as bad as it's been for the world, I think actually accelerated a lot of the trends that we were leaning into early on with fan-controlled sports. I think a couple of those, you know, you mentioned it. One is we got rid of city-based teams. You think about the younger generations. They're roaming all over the place, Airbnb. Like it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what city you live in. The influencer-led generation, our players, when you think about the main guys in our league, these are 21, 22-year-old kids coming out of college. They are gamers, they're content creators, they're active on social. They are the exact demo of the fan that we're trying to reach is actually the player on the field that's playing our game. And so what we've done with our players is we look at them as a micro-influencer army, right? So rather than pushing forward the FCF brand, we literally tell our guys, look, on the field, in between the lines, you take football seriously. We all take it seriously. We sent two guys from our first season of fan control football to the NFL, wide receiver for the Giants, offensive lineman to the Raiders. So the football on the field is phenomenally good football. But every one of these guys in the league, when they come try out, we try them out on the field, and then my co-founder, Ray, played five years in the NFL. He's gone on to incredibly successful career acting and, and, and Hollywood movies and shows. He puts them in front of a camera. And we are looking for the players that have backstories, that have big personalities, that have hidden talents, all of the things that make a player personable and make a player an influencer to the fan base. And then we're incentivizing and encouraging our players outside of game day to stream on Twitch, we actually helped them set up their rig. We actually helped them understand audience building, right? So all of the things that create that connection from the player to the fan in the new world and the new paradigm we live in, those are all of the things we're leaning into as a league. And those are a lot of the pieces that we we were really focused on, you know, in back and even in 2017. I think the other one where we were really early was blockchain. So I, I've been preaching blockchain since 2017. I thought. You know, I'm a huge sports card collector myself. Collectability and sports go hand in hand. I was really excited about digital collectibles. And then on the second piece, this tokenomics. If you think about what we're building as a real life video game, blockchain allows you to tokenize an economy and create the play to earn mechanics that have been so prevalent in blockchain recently is something I was talking about back in 2017, hand in hand with, with fan controlled sports, a way to bring digital currency into the league and reward the people that were putting in the time and contributing. We were so early with that concept back in 2017 that we had to go down the traditional equity road to kind of get where we are now, but it's almost come full circle. The two lead investors of our Series A round, Animoca Brands and Delphi Digital, are both two of the biggest investors in play to earn and tokenomics. And again, kind of leaning into our thesis, I mean, I have a white paper that I wrote back in 2017 on fan-controlled sports, tokens, you know, integrated, and how that could all work with decentralized ownership and decentralized governance. So the world is here now. I think it's ready. It was nerdy back then. It's cool now to be, to be in blockchain and NFTs. And so I, I feel like we're in a really good spot to capitalize on that. 
Yeah. So you touched on it a little bit kind of there towards the end. As you mentioned previously, you raised 12 million bucks in the seed round, just came back and you raised 40 for the series A. The 40, I'm assuming, was based off the success of kind of the initial, what we'll call beta test or whatever you want to call it. And now we're moving to a second season. I read online that this is going to give you two more years of runway. You're adding four more teams that are NFT based. But let's talk through like, what does this $40 million give you guys the ability to go do? I know there's an NFT component. I know there's the play to earn component that you just said, but it sounds like there's a lot more going on. So let's just walk through kind of what's next. Our first four teams were, I call them free to play, right? You could be from anywhere in the world. Even now, you're welcome to join Fan Control Football on the website, download the app, join one of those four teams. As a fan, when you join the league and pick a team, you're on that team's leaderboard. And what we call is Fan IQ. So as you interact with the team and you interact with the league, you earn Fan IQ. And the more Fan IQ you have, the higher on your team's leaderboard you are and the more voting power you have. So whether that's drafting players or calling plays or voting on team rules and all sorts of things, it's all controlled through what we call Fan IQ. For these next four teams and what we're really leaning into with this raise is really leveraging Web3. So these next four teams are all similar in construct. They're all influencer-led teams. Fan IQ is still the, the way that the, you know, the rankings work, but we're token-gating each of these next four teams with an NFT avatar. So there's only 8,888 per team. So as a fan, you need to buy the NFT avatar. We call it the baller. And if you own a baller, and we partnered with four existing communities in, in blockchain, Board Ape Yacht Club, Guttercat Gang, Steve Aoki and 888 are partners on one, and then the Knights of Degen. So those communities have early access to purchase a baller and help shape and guide the branding and, and, and some of the early team decisions. But we're really leaning into is governance via NFTs and then creating really unique utility in NFTs. So if you think about the next frontier of NFTs, we've all seen the PFPs. I think we've hit our peak PFPs. I don't know how many more PFP projects that there are that are going to be successful, but the one that everyone looks at is Board Ape. It's incredible. And obviously CryptoPunks was before that. And I think it's still incredibly relevant. What everyone's looking for now is like, okay, now what? What, what, what are we doing with NFTs? Are they just going to be pretty pictures on Twitter? Are they just JPEGs? We're really excited about utility in NFTs. So, and what I mean by that is, if you own one of our ballers, they're all imbued with different and varying degrees of gamification. Some have enhanced run play voting power. Some have enhanced pass play voting power. Some have enhanced voting power when you're drafting players. Some have enhanced ability to call plays in the fourth quarter or in the first quarter, right? Like all these different functions and features, we're building the gamification piece into the NFT itself. And then because we're a real league and not just a video game, we're also adding IRL utilities. So some of the ballers will come with VIP access to our game day venue in Atlanta. Some will come with sideline passes to practice. Some will come with game use merch drops. So you might get the, the jersey of the, of the MVP quarterback if you have a specific baller. So all sorts of ways that we can build and integrate and create utility inside of an NFT. So that's step one. You know, the, the other idea is the tokenomics piece. So we're going to be building and launching something we call the control token, which will be integrated throughout the league. And it'll be, I think, a really unique use case in that fans will earn it as they participate. Players will earn it as they participate. And then the token itself will be used throughout the economy for fans to buy and sell ballers, gear and avatars and NFT moments and digital collectibles and even game use merchandise. Like everything you can think of, it'll become basically the currency of the league. And it's something that we're going to create a lot of value around the utility value of using that token inside of fan controlled football. Additionally, and I think another reason why everyone's excited about the raise is we're going to go to another sport. Haven't decided which one yet, 
but it's either going to be baseball or basketball. We're going to bring a, a second fan-controlled sport in 2022. We'll do, again, a similar kind of beta test experiment. If you look at our holding company, it's called Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. The goal is really thinking about us as a game publisher, right? We are publishing this brand new world of real life video games, which is rooted in the physical, it's real players and it's real excitement and drama and coaches and a league structure, but 90% of the business is built digitally. And that's where fans engage, that's where fans connect, that's where we build community. And that's where we build from a company standpoint, that's where the revenue comes from, right? It's, a, it's all of the digital components that really become incredibly valuable as we scale. How do you guys think about your role in onboarding people to crypto NFTs and, and Web3, right? Because I think what's interesting to me is these kind of businesses or like take NBA Top Shot, for example, they did a tremendous job of onboarding a bunch of people who probably didn't care about crypto or even know to some degree that they were using kind of these rails or these pipes to do these things. And I think about you guys in a similar fashion where you have the ability to kind of combine the video game aspect with the in real life aspect that is really powerful to get people onboarded into crypto, downloading wallets, doing all these things that might have a lot of friction if they were to do it in a normal way today. Yeah, look, I've onboarded personally tons of people into the space. I'm a huge believer. I think NBA Top Shots, I think you're right, is a huge one. If you look at the overlap between crypto users and sports fans, it is significant. That Venn diagram is massive. The gamer side as well, although there's a huge pushback from more traditional gamers, you know, it's F NFTs. They haven't given, given NFTs and blockchain a chance, which is fine. I mean, look, we're very, very early in the cycle. I think what I'm most excited about is we're building a league, we're expanding to eight teams. Four of our teams are more, I mean, at least traditional for fan-controlled football, traditional teams, and four are Web3 native teams, right? And so we're building a league for everybody. And, and I think what it's going to do is the people that are saying, hey, I don't understand crypto, I don't understand the NFT value prop, screw that, I don't want to do it. They're still going to get exposed to it, right? And, and I think they're going to see that there is value in the way that we're building this. And then as we, as we introduce tokenomics, whether you're a fan of the original teams or you're a fan of the, the more Web3 centric teams, we're going to have a, an opportunity for you to earn those tokens. And then if you want to take the plunge and figure out what that means and get your wallet and, and understand the value there, I think that's where we have a real opportunity to bring people into the ecosystem and do it in a way that is not so jarring. And it's a natural, look, again, I go back to video games. It doesn't matter what mobile game you play, you're collecting gold or gems or points or fan IQ or whatever. There's always something that you're going for while you're gaming. And we want to build that same mechanic into fan-controlled football in a way that naturally onboards people into blockchain. Like you said, I think Top Shots did a hell of a job. People were collecting digital collectibles that they didn't really know were on the blockchain. And then they're like, oh shit, I guess I own NFTs now. That's cool. And I think we, we have a chance to do something similar. Yeah, I totally agree. And one of the points I want to just really get your opinion on is the idea of play to earn versus playing for really just solely entertainment, right? And, and as you mentioned, this has become a hot topic in the gaming community specifically. And for the people who aren't in touch with that side of the community, really the idea is like Axie Infinity is really who pioneered this. And they, they came in and they're allowing people in these smaller countries, Venezuela, the Philippines, countries like that, who maybe make $200 a month minimum wage. Now they can earn 500 to a thousand dollars a month by playing these video games, right? So it opens up a whole new digital economy where they can earn these tokens, 
convert them to fiat or whatever their local currency is, or they're able to reinvest them and keep growing their portfolios and stuff. So that's the play to earn section or side of this. And then the play for entertainment is what you'll hear mostly here in the United States where people do not want to be presented with NFTs. They don't necessarily care about owning the stuff within the video game. They play it for fun. They don't want to play all day long and earn a thousand dollars a month, right? They're more playing for entertainment and they think that hurts the video game or the game side of things. So like, what is your jack on this? Are we going to see mostly everything shift to play to earn? Is this going to become kind of a, like a regionalized thing? Just talk me through kind of how you think about this. Yeah, look, I think it's funny. I was having this exact conversation earlier today with one of our investors who's really deep in the gaming space. I think what you're going to see, I mean, you know, today Microsoft bought Activision Blizzard, right? There is already is, and there will continue to be tons of acquisition in the gaming space. If you think about traditional gaming shops right now, they don't have blockchain DNA. They don't have NFT DNA. They don't have any of the things that we're talking about right now that are happening in the Web3 space are not built into these corporate cultures and built into these product teams. So the way that I see this naturally progressing is you're going to have two separate industries growing. You have the traditional games and you have blockchain-based play-to-earn games. And eventually, blockchain gaming is going to get too big. It's already getting too big to ignore. It's going to get so big that the traditional game houses are going to be like, well, that has to be under our umbrella. We don't have to necessarily force fit all of our existing games into blockchain, right? Not everything has to be on the blockchain. I'm not a blockchain maximalist. Like there are plenty of things that don't need to be on the blockchain. But I do think that there is plenty of room for things in these big game houses to move into the blockchain space, but it's going to take time, right? There is no reason, and we've seen it time and time again over the last couple of months, these big publishers announce that they're doing a new game and it's going to be NFT enabled. And literally 24 hours later, they're like, nope, it's not going to be NFT enabled because our entire population of players hates it and they won't buy the game. So the vocal majority, or maybe it's vocal minority, we don't know, but they're speaking and they don't want it. But again, just like we've seen with everything else, this is going to be, it's going to be, there's early adopters right now. This is a movement that is not going to stop. Blockchain's here to stay. Digital currencies are here to stay. The metaverse is here to stay. I mean, one of the biggest companies in the entire world just changed their name to Meta. They didn't do that on a whim, okay? That is where the world is headed. And so I think it'll just take some time for the, the video game publishers to catch up. And I really, honestly, it's because of DNA. Like they just don't have the DNA in any of those corporate cultures right now to truly understand and enable them to play in this space in the short term. So I think we're a couple of years out from seeing that stuff happen, which I think is great for people in Web3. Like it, you're going to get a chance to continue to build and develop and be on the cutting edge and, and have a chance for acquisitions down the line by some of these people with huge pockets. Yeah. And I saw a report the other day and I forget who put it together on Twitter, but it was essentially just following the developers. Right. And one of the interesting things about crypto and web three and all of this in general is just like the developers during the bear markets and during kind of crypto winter, they don't leave. They stay, right? Yep. And they were building for years and years and years. And that's why we saw a bunch of this stuff run up over the past year or two years. And the same thing is going to happen. The developer size out of who you can see who's public and what's open source and all that kind of stuff has grown tremendously over the last year. And all you have to look at is kind of the people leaving jobs, right? I think it was an article I saw the other day. It was like, Facebook is now offering these bonuses. Apple's offering these bonuses because all their employees are like, screw this, we're That's out, right. we're going to build this stuff. We see all these girls and these men getting rich in Web3 and, and crypto. So all you really have to do is follow the talent. I think it's fascinating. And one of the things like I recommend everyone look at is Axie's case study. 
there's legitimate economies being built around these games from a play to earn perspective. There's people lending out money. There's people allowing others to buy axes with their cash and taking kind of a yield off of it. There's total economies being built and it's fascinating. It really is. Yeah. But one of the other things I want to talk about is like how you guys make money, right? So there's obviously sponsorships and you guys are doing some other creative things around kind of merchandise and all of that, but just walk me through how you make money today and how that might change in the future. Yeah, look, I think the way that we've uh, talked about it is it's the best of traditional sports and it's the best of gaming. So on the traditional side, sponsorship, obviously, as we grow the league and we grow eyeballs, rights fees on our live games become incredibly valuable, right? If we got this engaged audience and millions of people that want to watch our games. So I think those are the biggest pieces. And then obviously there's merchandise as well. And the unique stuff you can do in blockchain and NFTs and merchandise become really compelling. But then if you move over to the digital side, this is where we talk about scalability in the business, right? As we've got this one location, yes, we're very different than a video game, right? We have physical costs, we have lots of players, we have lots of salaries to pay, we have lots of operations to run, but we're not trying to do this across 32 cities, we're doing it in one city. And so it gives us a chance to actually invest in and focus on scalability on the digital side. And with that comes, Look, if you think about us truly as a mobile game, right? At the end of the day, our value is created. If we can prove and create content to get fans to come back outside of game day, our hooks on game day, I'm telling you, the first time you call a play and you get the feedback that your play is chosen and you feel like you call it a play on the field in a real football game, you're hooked. You're going to come back every game and you're going to keep calling plays because it's fucking awesome. But what we really need you to do to make this league successful and make our business successful is we need you to engage outside of game day, right? Like I said, we have these reasons for you to come back during the week and earn your power-ups for your teams. We let fans vote on the MVP of the game, the best touchdown dance when we pay the player for the best touchdown dance, the best interview, we pay the player for the best interview. All of this is voted on by fans during the week. And I'm bringing all that up because if we can prove out, which we did in season one, and, and that's why we were able to raise what we raised, we can get you to come back and consume our content and care about our league during the week. Then there's abilities on in-app purchases and microtransactions and digital ads and something we're building out called the virtual front office, which will be a very affordable $4.99 a month subscription, but it'll let you go behind the scenes of your favorite team, watch live practices, watch coaching film reviews, like all of the things that we've ever wanted to do for all of our favorite teams that we've never had a chance to. Like, I have no idea what goes on during a week in the Dallas Cowboys. I would love to follow along practices and go in the coaches meetings and hear these guys and what they're talking about. We're going to open all of that up to fans on the digital side. And then of course there's sports betting, which we're incredibly excited about. And that's kind of year three, year four for us, as we really think that ramps up significantly. And then there's just the digital collectible ecosystem, right? So part of what we want to do when we talk about play to earn, it's not only tokens, we go back to, to top shots. They did a great job of replicating what happens in the physical world in a digital pack, right? And you're chasing cards and you're building sets and all of the things that we do kind of in traditional card collecting. What we're going to do is take it a step further from a digital moment side. Our moments are going to be earned by the fans that called the play. So you think about, you know, four or five moments in a game, the game changing moments, the biggest hits, the biggest touchdowns, whatever. The fans that called that play are going to earn the moment. Um, we're not going to charge them for it. They're going to get it. And it's going to be their ability to monetize that moment on the market. So the value is going to go to the fan and the value is going to go to the player who created the moment on the field as well. Right. And so the business, our business will take a small piece of the secondary. We're going to put the primary value in the hands of the player and the fans. And we think as we build out that ecosystem of really sharing value as we build the business and as we scale, 
that's going to bring on just an entire new set of fans that are excited about a different format of engaging. And so we look at all the ways to monetize the way any video game would from a digital perspective. Yeah. And I would love to double click just on sponsorship specifically, because from my seat, one of the things that I think has become apparent over the last few years is like, you guys are sitting at what I'll call like the perfect crossroads. You have sports, you have crypto, and you have Generation Z viewership, right? Appointment viewing. And anyone who has been involved in marketing or advertising or whatever knows that one, everyone's chasing Generation Z, right? Everyone wants this younger age group of viewership. And then two, sports, when it's specifically for crypto, and you alluded to this a little bit earlier, there was a quote, I think it was Sam Bankman-Fried at FTX said that sports fans, their data shows, and then FTX is the perfect example for this because they've committed billions of dollars at this point, I believe, to sports sponsorships all over the world. Crypto.com has done the same, Coinbase has done the same, Block, right? They're all doing it. And the reason they're doing it is because the data is telling them, Sam literally said this, that the data is showing them that a sports fan is two times more likely than any other category that they looked at to care about crypto. And a diehard sports fan is three times more likely. So like, what sponsors are you guys working with? Is it mostly crypto related stuff or is it kind of your traditional sponsors that are looking for that Gen Z viewership? I think it's the latter. It's traditional sponsors for the most part. And, you know, we're still headed into season two and we got a bunch of sponsors that we're going to announce. But our experience was that traditional sponsors were looking to get in front of this audience, right? The gamer Twitch specific audience, not comfortable having their brand on a first person shooter, not comfortable having their brand on Grand Theft Auto, and quite frankly, don't understand League of Legends and don't know how their brand fits into something like that. So when we started having conversations with them about a quote unquote traditional sports product in front of the audience that they're trying to reach, it became very easy for them to understand how their brand fit in because they're already sponsoring sports, right? So now we're just asking to sponsor sports in a new format in front of the audience they're trying to reach. And so, you know, we had IBM and Progressive Insurance and Gatorade and Great Clips and, you know, all sorts of more traditional brands that have not been able to break into sponsorship and that fan that getting in front of those fans and, and that generation before felt really good about doing that and really comfortable doing that in fan control football. And that was our first season, right? Like we didn't have anything to show them before we took the field for game one. We just had our concept and some pretty slides, but they all took the plunge with us. These were six figure sponsorships across the board that I just mentioned. So we did a great job. Almost all of those sponsors are coming back. Almost all of them are writing bigger checks. I forgot to mention Wendy's. Wendy's was our, was our biggest sponsor. I think, you know, we've touched on something really unique in that we have a very sponsor friendly product. And then the other piece I think is really important is, and what we sell sponsors on is our products cross generational. And what I mean by that is the football is so good that if you're, you know, I'm 44, I like to call plays in fan control football, but I know people my age that just watched and they're like, Sarab, this football is awesome. Like, I love watching fan control football. It's fun. It's exciting. Like, I don't need to call plays. I just like what you created. And then they also have young kids. And rather than their kids sitting in the other room playing video games while they're watching football, you bring in the kids out and the kids call the plays. And so you've got moms and dads sitting with their kids in this shared entertainment experience where the parents can enjoy the content because it's something they love, which is sports. And the kids can love it because they can play it. And it is really a, just a unique dynamic. We announced a deal with NBC about a month ago. They're going to be doing all of our games on NBC, LX, and Peacock. And one of the reasons was this idea that they could bring the young generation back in front of the television 
because moms and dads would go get the kids and say, hey, let's do this together. You call the plays, we'll talk about it. We can engage and interact and watch this new sport. And it's a really unique dynamic. So we're excited about that as we continue to build. Yeah. So you have been an entrepreneur for most of your life at this point, I imagine. So I'm assuming you're constantly thinking about these things as someone who runs this business, but like, where could this go wrong? Not like what keeps you up at night necessarily, but like, what are you concerned about to some degree? Or like, where could this fail? Is it the interest dies down? Is it NFTs go away? Is it like, just what concerns you? At the end of the day, sports works because fan, the word fan comes from fanatic, right? And sports work because of fans. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, can we generate enough excitement and can we generate enough longevity for fans to not look at this? And look, I don't think fans from our first season thought this was a gimmick. The data shows they loved it. They came back again and again, and they continue to watch and consume. What happens five years from now? Like, do we become a household name with those fans? Are we like right there when they're talking about the NBA and the NFL? Or are they also, you know, FCF fans, right? And, and I think that's what we don't know. That's what keeps me up at night. Honestly, that's one of the things that as we're leaning into NFTs, what struck me in the NFT world was community. There's a sense of belonging to these projects. If you own a board Ape or a Gutter Cat, or you could own some other one that's only got 200 people involved, but you have this shared experience. And the words I kept seeing again and again and again, I feel like I belong. These are my friends. We're all going to make it. And there's this sense of being part of something that is incredibly impactful on people. People outside of the NFT space that haven't dipped their toes in yet definitely have no idea what I'm talking about, but it is genuine from this community and it is powerful. And so I saw that happening in the NFT world. I saw that happening in season one around our first teams. We had fans changing their PFPs on Twitter to the Beast logo or the Wild Aces logo, right? And we had them coming together in Discord and talking about drafting players and like what their strategy was going to be for play calling and you know all sorts of stuff that was true community and i think at the end of the day we win if we can build community around these teams because friends will keep friends around to do this together because if it's fun and they're enjoying it they're going to continue to do it. it's like playing your fantasy football league every season i'm in fantasy football with 16 guys from college i don't really watch the games except for the cowboys but I do fantasy football because I'm with my friend. That's something we all share and we all love together. And to me, if we can create that experience where you love being around the people that you're doing these things with in the league, it's less about the league and it's more about the connection. That's when we win. And so that's my fear and my goal at the same time, right? Yeah, I hear you. I mean, look, I'm a Giants fan and for season ticket holders, I'm not a season ticket holder, but season ticket holders this year, their appreciation was a medium soda at the last game of the season. That was literally, that was wow. their, their fan appreciation day, got a free medium soda. And a medium soda, you know, maybe it's six, seven, eight dollars in the stadium, but it costs the team five cents, right? Like maybe not yeah. even. So embarrassing is certainly one word to think about it, but it also opens your eyes to kind of how much this community means, not only community, but the ability to vote on things, right? And all the other things that you guys are offering from a governance perspective, from the actual gameplay perspective. And it still looks and it feels like football, which I think is important because people can see it, they can feel it, they can touch it, they know what it is, but ultimately there's so many more components. And I think that you're 100% right. And I tell people this all the time is like, with NFTs, everyone from the outside laughs, right? Your first reaction is, hey, right click, save, you're an idiot, I have your picture now. Yeah. And I think that's fair, right? I think that that is the logical way to think about it maybe at first. 
But then you dig in and you start looking at things and you say, hey, wait, I just joined this random Discord for no reason. And these people are nuts and they all love each other and they'll talk to each other and they'll jump on Zooms and they'll hang out and they'll do this all day. And you start to realize that there was just never any way to actually express an verifiable ownership online before. It's created these mini communities around things, yep. which to your point are extremely, extremely powerful. And I think what we're seeing is young people specifically just don't care about sports like they have. I look at this stuff every day. And when you look at a team, again, like the New York Giants, the only thing you're really getting out of this is I'm a Giants fan because my dad told me I had to be, right? I had no choice. And you grow up like that and you yep. watch the games because it's fun and maybe you go to some and you root for them and you're, you're emotionally attached to some degree, but you don't have skin in the game necessarily. You don't have the ability to make choices. You don't have the ability to do these things with your friends necessarily unless you're going to the game or doing these things. So it's a super interesting business model approach. And I think what we're already seeing and what we'll continue to see is people are going to copy this stuff, right? And if you look at all the new sports leagues being built today, here at least in the United States that are growing, there's like the Premier Lacrosse League, right? There's Overtime Elite, which is basically a very similar model without kind of all the fancy stuff around tokenomics and NFTs and all that, but they do one central location. It's all digitally media-based, it's streaming, it allows younger fans yep. to be engaged and it's all kind of content-driven. So I think that's what we're moving to. And I know that these bigger leagues, look, they're massive. I don't think they're worried that some of these other smaller leagues are going to come and take their lunch, but ultimately they're worried that they're going to start losing viewership from these younger buckets. And we've already seen that to some degree. And like Formula One's a good example because they're a good showcase of how content can drive viewership. And I think NFTs are part of that. I think the token part is certainly a piece of that, but it's fascinating stuff, man. I'm excited to watch you guys and see how it goes from here. I know you guys have some amazing investors now and, and before, and you've raised a bunch of money. So it's going to be cool to see. Does this new round, it gives you what, runway for two years? Yeah, two more seasons at a minimum. Yeah. And then you'll look to launch another sport this year or next year. Yeah, we're aiming for end of this year. I mean, it's a lot to bite off, but uh, yeah. our, our goal is to get that test out and get that test done. And there's different ways we can do it. We could go do it in an existing league again if we find a friendly partner to let us try something, or we may just stand up four teams and do it ourselves. So still working through the pieces there. And for people that want to get involved in some capacity, let's talk first, like where they can learn more. Yep. So fcf.io is the best place. That's our website. You're going to want to go see all the games from last season. You can go to our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash fcf, or you can follow us on Twitter, fcflio on Twitter. Okay. And then when are the NFTs dropping? So NFTs are coming for the four teams in the first week of February. So we've got a couple of weeks here to get involved. We are whitelisting people, like I said, from those four projects, Board Apes, Cutter Cats, Knights of Degen and 888 Inner Circle. So, and then there's a public sale. So it'll be a private sale on the third and a public sale on the fourth. Amazing. All right, I'm going to let you go, but I want to do this again, maybe after the season. I'm sure there's going to be an update around kind of where you guys are at and how well it's going, but I'm rooting for you guys. You guys are certainly changing the way that people think about traditional sports for sure, but I think you guys are kind of leading us on this new frontier of what the internet specifically, but also sports are going to look like in general going forward. So. I'm certainly excited for you guys. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. We got a big opportunity in front of us. If we go execute, I think we're going to do well. So thanks for the time and I would love to come back for sure. All right. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.